The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today we're talking about building relationships with strangers. Now, let me explain. We all know in corporate life that having a strong network is a really powerful asset. Some of us love building networks, and some of us do not love building networks, especially, though, when you're a newcomer, whether it's a new group, a new job, a new company, a new division, getting to know people First off, getting to know, remembering their names, getting to know who they are, and beginning to build that network is absolutely critical to success. It's going to make a huge difference in your effectiveness in the first year, in the first six months, actually in the first month. So what we're going to talk about today is how do you do that? How do you actually build relationships with strangers, and especially if you're more of an introvert? We're going to take this in three parts. The first one we're going to talk about is how do you go about networking, just that getting to know people, remembering their names thing when you are new to the group. Second, we're going to talk about how do you take those relationships and turn them into strong relationships, especially when you're new. And the last segment, we're going to talk about how to do that, particularly if you're an introvert. So with me today is Keith Rolag. Keith is Associate Professor and Chair of the Management Division at Babson College. His new book, What to Do When You're New, How to Be Comfortable, Confident, and Successful in New Situations. This book has been named as one of the top 10 best books of 2015. His research has been featured in New York Times, National Public Radio, Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Forbes, and a host of others. You can check out more information at his website, www.whenyourenew.com. Keith, welcome to the show. Great to be here today. Delighted to have you. And this is an unusual topic. We don't often talk about how do you build relationships with strangers, but I tell you, it is a critical thing, especially when you're starting something new. So let's start with this whole notion of networking. I talk to lots of people who know they need to network. They don't love it, and they avoid doing it. Um, so you walk up to somebody. We know you can say hello, but then after that next moment, it gets a little awkward. So what's the secret to starting an introduction so you make a connection in the first two minutes? Great. Well, I think the, the most important word you just said was connection. I think a lot of times when we think networking it conjures up images of us walking into the sea of strangers and, and all the pressure of a make-or-break 
um, connection, you know, make or break relationship that we have to create, and we put so much pressure on ourselves that it and it feels so daunting that we often just talk ourselves out of doing it. Um, I think the most important thing that comes in those first couple minutes, number one, is just to uh, relax and be yourself, because obviously people, it's hard to build relationships with people who are fake. Um, but I think the the most important part of, of introductions, there's almost a ritual to them, is is after that name exchange and the handshake, um, the first couple of minutes is usually simply about establishing uh, connection, common experiences, common acquaintances. You know, maybe we'll tell us a little bit about ourselves and they'll say a little bit about themselves. The, 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 what you're trying to do in those first few minutes is really to establish uh, some sort of base level of trust, of connection, and then from there build on to the other things, the other reasons why you are networking. Um, I think sometimes we, we end up approaching each networking event almost like an interview. And that just puts an awful lot of pressure on ourselves to perform in ways that will, will probably make it more painful and less likely we want to do it again, do it the next time. I think you're right. We do think about them as an interview. So how should we be thinking about networking events? Well, I think that one of the best ways to sort of reframe things and make, make you a little bit more comfortable in it is to stop thinking about it as, oh, I got to do this in order to get a new job or make a, you know, get a new customer or whatever the networking has been designed for, but really think of it as a learning opportunity. Um, I know it sounds kind of simple and, and silly, but if, if you approach somebody with the objective of learning something about them, um, first of all, the act of asking questions, the act of being curious, the act of showing interests is probably one of the best ways to make a good first impression because you come off as sort of humble and, and interested and wanting to make a connection. And then second of all, it often will take your mind away from the fact that, yes, this might lead to something or I need to have this relationship in order to be successful. And I think by that and, and having a way to sort of recalibrate your brain from thinking that it's such a make-or-break situation, you can be much more relaxed, much more yourself, and you're putting yourself in a much better chance of establishing the kind of relationship you're hoping for. Okay, so I reframe my mind from this is a chore, and if I don't get it right, it's going to be a disaster, into I'm going to try to walk into this room or into this event and learn something about somebody else in the room. Not necessarily everybody, but somebody else. I like that framework. So now let's start at the beginning. We all know I'm supposed to remember names, and I'll bet most people have read somewhere tips about, you know, framing the name and all that routine. And yet, at the same time, especially if I'm nervous, three minutes in, I can't remember a single name. So how do you remember names? Do you have a trick for this? Sure, sure. And I think that your reality is the reality for most everybody I've ever interviewed about this. There are a few people out there that are really good with names who can meet somebody and, and you know, a day later, a week, a month later, they, they instantly recall. But those are few and far between. Most of us are just like you. And I, I conclude myself, you know, if I'm not really focusing on it, the, the name goes in one year and out one out, out the other. And it's not even three minutes for me. It can be uh, 10 seconds. Um, I'm so focused on something else that uh, that name goes out. Part of the reason why we are not very good at this is that our brains actually process 
proper names like John and Mary differently than we process other information that we learn about people. And as a result, um, we have a real hard time taking things we know about people, such as their face, and having a really strong neural connection to the name. And so that's part of the reason why that oftentimes after those three minutes or if we meet them the next day, we can remember absolutely everything about that person except their name. Um, How do you get better at it? Well, it turns out um, scientists have found that probably in half the cases that we blank on somebody's name, the next time we see them, it's because we never really listened to it that hard in the first place. Um, We also don't, we're so focused on everything else that's going on in the introduction, how firm our handshake's going to be, what we're going to say next, is there food in our teeth, Um, that the last thing we're really paying attention to is that name. So I think the first The most important thing that one can do is make a habit that when you are entering into an introduction, you remind yourself to pay attention to the name and then repeat their name as soon as you've heard it. Because if you repeat their name, it further reinforces that in your memory um, and it increases the probability that you'll get it firmly enough in there that you can recall it in the future. I love that. Now, one of my pet peeves in going to networking events, and I do a lot of these, is that people don't say their name in a way that I can understand it. So often, I couldn't repeat the name if I had to, even if I was paying attention. So what do you do in that situation? And I I think what what you end up doing at that point is is you simply need to politely, as you can't ask for that name again. Sometimes I, I often will do it just as a matter of course, even if I heard the name correctly, because, again, it would help get it into memory. But just, uh, first of all, it shows interest. I mean, that you, you're paying enough attention to be able to understand their name. Um, if you, it's often a, a conversation starter. If it's perhaps an unusual name, um, you can soften, sort of lead off of that into, um, into more things that you can talk about. But I think the, the, the best thing that you can do is, Repeat their name right away, and then as you're talking with them, often you can mentally quiz yourself about what their name is, see if you can recall that name three minutes, four minutes, five minutes into the conversation, and if you can't, then at the end of the conversation when you are concluding and sort of leaving each other, that gives you another opportunity to say, oh, by the way, um, my name was Keith, and your name again was, um, and usually the other person will be happy to uh, give it, and oftentimes they're... um, they're thrilled because they probably have forgotten your name too. Uh, so I think you shouldn't feel embarrassed if you didn't quite under- hear it the first time to you know, ask, for, ask for it again and, and maybe practice it once or twice if it is an unusual name so that you got it correctly. I often, particularly when I'm dealing with people who have foreign names, I will make sure I get the pronunciation right and I make a big deal out of it. Um, partly out of respect, but also it helps me emphasize the name as well. And I like that notion that you ask at the end. You know, if you say, look, my name is Wanda, remind me your name or some version of that. I think people will respect that one pretty well. Okay, so I got the name down. I focused on the concentration. And the next awkward moment is, okay, what do I say? Or I say, hey, I'm new to this team and I get a lame answer from the other person. What do I do now? How do I keep this conversation rolling so we make a connection? Well, again, I think the, the words you used first are often a really good leading because if you can establish the fact that you're new, you know, if I can say, hey, I'm, I just joined here, this is my first day, oftentimes 
the other person will reciprocate by being helpful, you know, and whether that's explaining more about how the office works or, or more about themselves or how this particular event goes, oftentimes that's a good lead-in to get people talking. Now, it is true that sometimes somebody will say something or if they're shy and are awkward themselves, they'll, they'll, they'll give a response that will sort of co- cause the conversation to come to a screeching halt and you're both staring, here, both staring at the floor trying to figure out how to pick it back up. I think, again, yeah. the, the best thing that you can do is just, you know, get people to talk about themselves. Tell me about yourself. I mean, sometimes that one little sentence um, can jumpstart a conversation because in terms of building connections, the more that you can get people to talk a little bit about themselves, and most people gain energy by talking about themselves, um, the more you'll have opportunities to sort of identify other things that you have in common and then can play off of those to keep that conversation going. Okay. All right, now, do you have a stock set of questions that you recommend people use? And I'm giving an example to start this off. You know, I've done the, hello, my name is Wanda Wallace. I'm just new to the company. Who are you? What do you do here? That kind of thing. Um, sometimes I go to, how long have you worked here? When I have nothing else to ask. Do you have a sure. set of questions that you recommend? Well, one of the things you can do is in often in case, especially when you're new, is you can ask for advice. Um, and in fact, most people see that as respectful. So, for instance, you could say something like, uh, you know, I'm brand new here. Uh, what do I need to know, you know, to, to get up to speed on what's going on? Um, oftentimes that's a safe answer or a safe question because that person usually has a lot of experience and can kind of respond to it in a variety of ways. Um, by thinking about how they can help you, sometimes that will free up or help you generate some questions in your head. And again, again, if you're approaching this as a learning mindset, um, oftentimes that in itself will help you sort of identify some questions that get beyond just simply the, let me tell about you, myself, you, each of us share our elevator pitches and then, then we're stuck trying to figure out where to go from there. Yeah, and we don't make a connection with that. The elevator pitch isn't the connection. It's just you hope the opener that lets you make the connection. Okay, so I ask for advice. What do I need to know? You might ask for, you know, who do you know in the room? Who should I know in the room? Um, Any of those kind of questions. Get the other person giving you advice. And that, again, is back to the learning mindset. Okay, now the next most dreaded question I get is, I'm bored with this conversation. I've been standing here for 10 minutes. I really need to move. How do I move on? Do you have any advice for moving on to the next person? Sure. Well, you know, again, I think we'll have to accept the fact that it's going to be a little bit awkward. Um, The act of sort of breaking a conversation unless there's something that's natural, whether like, you know, the meeting's going to start uh, or the event is, uh, there's some reason that, that it naturally is going to end. But usually uh, there's a number of things you can do. Number one, you can just simply be honest. If, for instance, if it's a network event and you know that you need to meet with more people, you can just simply say, hey, you know, this has been great talking with you. Um, I need to go meet some more people in this room today, and I really appreciate it. You know, if you are, um, you end with a thank you, end with gratitude, that often will sort of soften the fact that you are uh, detaching yourself. 
oftentimes we often think that, oh, this is just simply going to, I'm just rejecting that person if I, if I leave now. But many times the other person's probably, if you're feeling bored, the other person's probably feeling the same way, unless they're just the kind of person who talks so much and they love to hear their voice and they just chabber on and on and on. But don't feel like the social cost of ending that is um, more than it really is. And, of course, the other thing, you can always um, do the old tricks of introducing that person to somebody else and then sort of silently back away from it or claim you've got to go to the bathroom. I mean, we can come up with different excuses. But most of the time, we, we read more cost, the social cost, the risk that we're taking by ending it as more than it really is for that situation. Yeah. Yeah. One of my, I, someone on one of the shows had said that one of the pieces of advice for ending is um, to have your, just pretend you got a phone call on your cell phone and say, excuse me, I've got to go take this call. I suppose if you're stuck, that's also another alternative. But I like your yeah. notion that the social cost isn't that high. Just say, hey, thank you. I've enjoyed talking to you. Appreciate your time. And then yeah, move exactly. on. I mean, I think, you know, we are hardwired. You know, one of the challenges that we face is that, uh, uh, this isn't something that humans have done. You know, networking events probably never happened until a few decades ago, and now we're expected to be masters at it, and, and we aren't. We're not hardwired to meet with a million strangers at once and build these relationships one after another, day after day. So we need to kind of give ourselves a little bit of a break, um, but also remind ourselves that, that for most of the kinds of relationships we build, you know, yes, we may need to make sure we get a good relationship with our new boss and our new teammates, but a lot of the relationships that we have are, you know, are at that moment, or they're certainly for your career, they're not make-or-break events. And yet our okay. brain often is hardwired to make us think of it as it is, and therefore we put all this pressure on this great social performance. We know we have to say the right things, we have to keep the conversation going and have it flow and have energy and it needs to end on a rising crescendo of leave taking and music and of course that doesn't happen that way and yet our brains think that we have to do it that way we have to be perfect for a relationship to continue and that's never the case so the core message here is give yourself a break uh, no one's particularly brilliant at this. Everybody struggles with it a bit. Go in with a learning mindset, and you're going to do pretty well. Now, Keith, real quickly before we take a break, let me ask one last question. You know, the debate is how much time do I spend networking and how much time do I spend following up? Do you have any advice for following up with people? So I met a bunch of people at this event. That's great. I'm off to the running start, but that isn't enough. How do I follow up? Well, I mean, I think the act of following up is the important thing because in these kinds of networking events, ask yourself how much of what, how much of the, what you remember of the people you've met. Um, and for most people, it's been it was such a blur uh, and a mixture of stuff. It's hard to even kind of remember who said what and when. Obviously, if you're doing this for networking, and oftentimes one of the most important things you can do ever um, in these kind of things is to write stuff down as soon as you've met people because then it's that follow-up. You know, they're probably going to have a vague recollection of you um, as part of that event, or they may remember you something, but it's the follow-up that allows you in, the, in a much more calm moment, whether it's a phone call or an email or a note or whatever it is, um, to reestablish that memory, to so- solidify that, 
the good feelings they had when they talked with you. Um, and then, obviously, from there, build that relationship into something that's meaningful for both of you. But I think the important part of it is, is number one, remind yourself to do it because it's so easy to not do it. It's also easy to, a lot of people talk themselves out of following up because they feel like it's just, it's another intrusion on that person's time and energy um, without thinking that oftentimes, and in usually most cases, these kinds of follow-ups, these kind of connections are beneficial to both sides. Um, And by remembering that, by following through with it, it also give yourself a break. There's no perfect way to follow up. And some of them will work well, some of them won't. it just, in many ways, just go for it. Okay. And uh, you'll be better off for it. I love that. Just uh, just to do it. It's not an intrusion. It's good for both of you. Okay, with me today is Keith Rolag. The book is What to Do When You're New, How to Be Comfortable, Confident, and Successful in New Situations. We've covered the topic of how do you introduce yourself to other people, and particularly remember their names. The hint is pay attention in the first case, and then the second is repeat it. And go with a learning mindset. So I've gotten the introduction. Now the second half, when we come back from break, is how do I actually really build this connection so that I develop a relationship that has meaning for both of us? We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, Call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Keith Rolag. Associate Professor and Chair of the Management Division at Babson College. His book, What to Do When You're New, How to Be Comfortable, Confident, and Successful in New Situations, named one of the 10 best books in 2015. The website, if you want more specific information, is www.whenyourenew.com. 
All right, we've just been talking about going into a new team, a new role, a new company, a new manager for that matter, and starting to build the relationships and the connections. And we did the first part of this, which is how do you do the networking components, introducing yourself to people, remembering people, and beginning to make connections. Now, I want to move on to perhaps the more important and also harder part of this, which is building the substantive relationship. So before we go into the tactics and the process for this, Keith, in my experience, most people are incredibly anxious about starting something new. I, I don't know why it is. I often watch people will stay in a not great job for way too long even when it's career limiting, I guess it's a bit of the devil they know versus the one they don't know. So why do you think this is so hard for people? Well, as we talked a little bit about before, I mean, a lot of it is really um, evolution. Uh, We're hardwired to be nervous in new situations because for most of human history, being anxious in new situations helped us survive. Uh, For most of human history, people lived in small groups of 30 to 40 people out in the wilderness hunting and gathering food And meeting strangers was a very rare thing. And when you did meet strangers, um, it often meant that either you were encroaching on their territory or they were encroaching on yours. And so there was a real advantage to get the old uh, adrenaline flowing and and be nervous because you didn't know what this meant. And the implications of it were big. Also, back then when we were living with 30 to 40 people, and if for some reason that group kicked us out, and we were rejected, it was often a life-or-death situation because there was a huge survival advantage to be with other people. So we've inherited both this fear of strangers and this fear of rejection. And we don't, you know, it's sort of hardwired into our DNA, um, and it was a product of an environment that is so different than we are today. I mean, our ancestors probably met they probably were interact or met maybe 300 to 400 people their entire life, and yet we meet that many people on a, any given day at commuting to and from work. And so we, we carry that um, anxiety uh, into these situations. And I think that's a lot of it is that we, we fear the rejection and then we fear the, the natural fear of unfamiliar people and the uncertainty that brings. And that just sets us up for being not only anxious in new situations, but giving us lots of reasons why we're not going to pursue a new situation, a new job, because much of it is sort of our hardwired fear of what the new things might bring. Right. Keith, as much as I have read the evolutionary arguments about leadership, this one is a new one for me. And it absolutely makes a ton of sense that you would have been hardwired through evolution for thousands, hundreds of thousands of years to avoid strangers. Strangers meant danger, period. So no wonder we're anxious about it. Okay, all right, so we give ourselves a break. That's another reason to say, it's okay if I'm uncomfortable, I'm supposed to be uncomfortable. Fabulous. Now, I still have to do it anyway. Is there a process or a formula that works every time to build relationships? Right. Well, again, as, as I said earlier, oftentimes one of the things to keep reminding yourself is you're new. Um, those words, I knew here, are often uh, trigger words uh, to get help, to get advice, to establish relationships. Um, you know, if you, by, by telling people, this is my first day, I'm new here, you're often, um, it, it, 
it's, it's a way that they, they reciprocate, right? You know, if we hear that somebody else is new, we sort of naturally have a field to take, take them under our wings and, and uh, get to know them. And, and so it does help to recognize that you're new, recognize that when you're new, people will expect you to ask questions. They'll expect you to maybe make a mistake or two or a stumble or do something that's maybe not, this, you know, not uh, connected to the norms of the group. But I think that's sort of the a first piece of this that's important. The other thing to recognize is that when you're building these relationships, um, there's all kinds of relationships we want to build, right? There's everything from our teammates to our boss relationship to the person who's sitting in the cubicle down the hallway to the receptionist that we go by every day to the person who works at the cafeteria. Or, I mean, if you think about it, we have all kinds of relationships. And many times we're hardwired to think of them all as these life-or-death survival kinds of things, because for long ago they used to be. Now we just have a whole variety of relationships of varying degrees of connectedness. And I think many times when we enter new situations, we imagine that we're having to set up these enormously deep relationships with these various people, when in reality, no, we're, we're setting up different kinds of relationships with different people. Um, and... The social cost of losing any one particular relationship is often less than we imagine it to be. Okay. All right. So that also means to be more thoughtful about the nature of the relationship I need with my team and my manager versus someone else. Okay. That's right. I mean, there are some, some that we simply have acquaintance relationships, right? We get to know them. We wave as we go by. We say a few words at the water cooler. There's others that are, you know, our boss, which is a very special kind of relationship, or those, those that support our work as a manager, you know, our subordinates. And each of those has a different type of relationship. And I think m- most, the, probably the most important thing is just for us to be somewhat systematic about it. I mean, recognize we need to do these. Recognize that they're, they're a um, symbiotic relationship and that we gain something and the other person gains something by working with us. And it's simply a matter of, of making it happen and, and recognizing it's going to take some time. And sometimes it'll be awkward, sometimes it won't, but, but it's a process of learning and getting to know each other and finding ways to work together. And it's necessary to be successful. Okay. All right. So I have a sense that there is a whole range of relationships I need to build. I can be more thoughtful about the nature of the different kinds of relationships um, I know in that one, sometimes it's easy to focus on the obvious, like, let me make sure my team is happy, but you then ignore your peers, and often your peers are the ones that support your work more than anybody else. So be thoughtful about that, not accidental. And is there any sort of expectation of how a relationship should evolve over time? Well, again, the, part of it is just that um, it depends on the relationship. So obviously an acquaintance may stay an acquaintance for your whole life. You know, and that's as far as it goes, and that might be perfectly can fine, or a peer that you sort of run into every once in a while on common projects, or you work intensely with them for a few weeks and then you won't see them for a year or two. I mean, all of those are sort of part of that portfolio relationships that we have in any kind of job or career. Um, again, it's it's a matter of recognizing all right, what kind of relationship are you wanting to build? And then what is needed 
what's the kind of follow-up, what's the kind of, of uh, frequency of connections that one's going to need in order to build it to that particular relationship and recognize that you don't need to do that with everybody. Um, okay. All right, and do you have a nomenclature for describing these relationships? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's you know, if you think about it, there, um, even before acquaintance, there's sort of the, what I call the co-participating strangers. I mean, there's so many things, even at work, where we don't actually get to know each other, sort of before the introduction, and yet we're together. You know, think of us going to a baseball game, and you're sitting around the stands with other people. You have a relationship with them. You have a relationship with the people around you when you commute to some degree. Um, oftentimes, you'll strike up a conversation. You know, from there, it progresses to an acquaintance. Um, then you will have, uh, you know, teammates. You'll have mentors. You'll have bosses. You'll have peers, as you've described, in different parts of the organization. And eventually, you'll have friends. Um, and that's a wide range. And yet, you know, we don't expect everybody to become our friend. And yet, partly we're hardwired to want to have that kind of trusting relationship with everybody or that deep, intense relationship with everybody. But that's not the reality of, of uh, work situations where we really build and, and, and nurture sort of a portfolio of all those relationships. And I think a lot of times we put too much pressure on ourselves that somehow we have to befriend everybody or have a deep relationship with all the people we want to interact with, when often that's not necessarily the case at all. And especially for introverts like me, um, which, where we see a lot of energy in that regard, it's a little bit more challenging. Okay. Okay. So, and I like this notion to recognize that I have varying degrees of depth with different ranges of people, and that's okay. Not everybody is going to be my friend. I might like it, but not everybody's going to be my deep friend with deep trust. Okay, so when I'm trying to build all these relationships, are there things to watch out for? Are there things I should actually avoid? Well, I think one of the things um, is, on one hand, you want to be uh, sort of systematic and think about this. On the other hand, you want to make certain that you're doing this for the right reasons. Um, if you're doing it for you and for the organization, for your team, for, for the, the whatever endeavor that you're trying to do is to be successful – that's often a good thing, and people will, because they're part of making that success happen, it's good. If it's purely for personal gain, to get promoted, um, I think usually people can feel that out pretty fast, and oftentimes that, you know, where it sort of crosses the line between building relationships and politicking, um, I think you have to recognize that if you're doing it for the right reasons, for you to be successful in, in the job that you're, you're doing, for the organization to be successful, most of the time people will see that in a good light and be re- very responsive to what you want to do. I think the other things that are important is don't um, take silence for rejection. With, with, the, with the portfolio of relationships we have to build and the sheer numbers and the fact that everybody's busy, um, oftentimes it's just hard to get connected or reconnect or, re, um, or f- people to find time to respond back to your email. Don't assume that the silence, a lack of reply automatically means that they're rejecting you because oftentimes <laughs> that's not the case. Boy, that's a powerful one. I can't tell you how many times I've watched people assume that person doesn't like me 
And the relationship history is then set in motion in a particular direction based on that assumption. All right, fair enough. Now, but let's talk about what to do. I mean, every now and then people do reject you. And it's not just because of silence. They just flat out decide we're not going to see eye to eye and I don't like your style. What's your advice in that scenario? Well, again, it's, I mean, there are times where you can decide whether that matters or not. I mean, sometimes if you are um, working together and you, you're, you have enough interdependency that your success depends on their success and you're working together, then you may have to confront that and have that difficult conversation to sort of figure out, even if we don't necessarily see eye to eye, how can we get past that and at least work together? In other cases, um, part of it is just simply convincing yourself that, you know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, if, if, if we aren't connected in a way that, that makes me more or less successful, then perhaps I just need to accept the fact that we're not going to see eye to eye and, and move forward. And again, not let our hardwired brains that interpret rejection as this life or death thing, we're getting pushed out into the wilderness, um, that we recognize those, those adrenaline and the emotions and the anxieties that come with that for what it is, uh, you know, it's a it's something hardwired into us, and move past that and just you know get on with our life. Okay, all right. So it's an understanding again that fear of rejection because if I was rejected by my community evolutionarily, I was probably going to die, and so don't let all the anxiety and emotions and everything that come with that rule in this situation. Going to ask myself, does it matter really, truly, or not? If so, do something about it. Come to some terms, and if not. Do your best to move on. Let the emotions go in this one. Okay, let me give you a case scenario here. Um, This is an individual who has joined one of my clients uh, coming from outside the industry in an industry that is notoriously bad at accepting anyone from outside. And he is from way outside. He comes in and he is very thoughtful about, with some guidance from his manager, about the 15 people he most needs to build a relationship with. They're not all senior. Some of them are various levels, but the 15 people and the reason he needs to build a relationship for them. And then with that reason, he also says, all right, fine, what is this person most concerned about that I impact? Meaning, what am I doing that's affecting their world? And then he made sure that for each of those people, he put an objective in his yearly objectives to be certain that he had something he had to deliver that was relevant for each of these 15 people. Now, it's a very systematic, methodical way of going about it. I can imagine some people say that sounds mechanical. So what's your view? Was that a good strategy or not a good strategy? I mean, I think overall it's it's a good strategy. Yes, it's methodical. Um, and it partly depends on how they do it. I mean, if they're walking around with a clipboard in their hand with the 15 names and, you know, sort of checking people off, um, then they're probably not going to be themselves, um, and it probably won't be as effective. Again, going back to the, the reasons for it, if they're doing it because it will make them more productive, help the organization be successful, and they do these in a way that the others that they're interacting these 15 people come away with that same belief, you know, that this person's doing it for the right reasons, then I think it can be extremely effective. If it's purely, well, I just need to get these 15, know these 15 people because they're going to help me get promoted down the road, 
then people tend to see that a mile off. And then it feels more like, oh, you're just trying to use me. I mean, and people hate being used. So again, I think in general, being systematic, being methodical, being thoughtful about who you need to talk to, and having a structure in place to remind you to push yourself to make those relationships, because oftentimes in these situations, those 15 people aren't necessarily ones you work with all the time. You know, some of those are ones you sort of have to go out of your way to build the relationships, and yet they're still valuable. Uh, I think as long as you're doing them for the right reasons um, and you're genuine about why you're doing it, uh, it's a good strategy. Right. Well, and in this particular case, his notion was, if I don't have some system, it's too easy to let these 15 go because it's too easy to be busy day in and day out. And I rather like the notion that he was thoughtful about who, but I take your point. Equally, it's thoughtful about why. For what common purpose are we building this relationship? Not just because I need your your support. And I think um, you make a great point. I mean, in today's world, we are always busy. You know, there's almost never a moment where things slow down anymore, and it's so easy to deal with the problems of the day than the, the strategic things that we know we need to do to be successful long-term. And if, there's, if you have a way, whatever it is, you know, whether it's a plan or a strategy or a set of emails you, you set to remind you in the future about what to do, whatever it takes to help remind you of these broader goal, these longer-term things you need to work on, you're going to be more successful um, in the end. All right, we're going to take a break, but let me see if I can summarize this, Keith, here. So the first point is that we are hardwired to be nervous in new situations, to fear strangers and to fear rejection. So give us a break. It just is part of, it's awkward for everybody. Second thing is to recognize that there's a whole host of relationships in varying degrees of depth, frequency of contact, follow-up, trust, And they go from things like we happen to be strangers who co-participate, like commuting, all the way down to teammates and ultimately to friends. And so that I'm not trying to build the same depth of relationship with everybody. And then the third thing is to be really consciously focused on my purpose, my reason for building the relationship, so that it's of mutual gain, not just for my own self-interest. And then lastly is don't take silence as a rejection. I love that. Don't take lack of response as a rejection. All right, Keith Rolag, the book is What to Do When You're New, How to Be Comfortable, Confident, and Successful in New Situations. We'll be right back. When we come back, I want to talk about how to deal with all of this when you are more introverted than extroverted, meaning when you are more naturally shy and withdrawn than the outgoing, talkative characters we all know and love. We'll be right back. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Your entrepreneurial vision has taken hold. Your business is growing. It's everything you hoped for. Or is it? With growth comes bigger headaches, more hiring, more capital, more customers to satisfy, more employees to manage, more plates to juggle, and more demands on your time. Get off that merry-go-round now. Tune in to The Business Edge with Marsha Zeidel. You'll meet street-smart entrepreneurs and business leaders sharing their success stories as well as practical solutions to the unique challenges faced by growing companies. Heard every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Keith Rolag, Associate Professor and Chair of the Management Division at Bob Babson College. His book, What to Do When You're New, How to Be Comfortable, Confident, and Successful in New Situations. The website is www.whenyourenew.com, and this is one of the 10 best books of 2015. All right, we have been talking about how to build relationships with strangers. We've done this in terms of networking. We've done this in terms of building the range of relationships you need inside any organizational life and recognizing it's a broad range. Now I want to turn a little bit to the personality and style preferences, and I want to talk about introverts and extroverts. Most of us have a common sense of what that means, but let me be very specific about what I mean. An extrovert is typically someone who gets energy by talking to people. They are naturally fairly gregarious and outgoing, Not do not appear, at least on the surface, to be afraid of speaking to almost anybody about anything. They get energy from talking to people. An introvert is more naturally withdrawn, meaning they get more energy from thinking for themselves. They need that quiet moment to pull in and collect their thoughts before they are ready to speak to people. And we often describe them as a tad bit more shy, a little more reserved before they speak. Okay, so, Keith, we can all imagine that for extroverts, this building relationships with strangers, at least on the surface, looks a little easier than it does for introverts. So what's your advice for introverts on learning to build relationships with strangers? Sure. Uh, as an introvert, uh, which probably partly uh, probably spurred my interest in, in exploring all of this and, and writing about being new, because I'm certainly one of those people that um, have in, in, in the past and even now 
be a little reluctant to put myself necessarily into new situations, and part of that is my introversion. Um, you mentioned introversion and shyness. I think a lot of times people will sort of confuse the two and see introversion, as you said, where you, sort of where you gain your energy, and then there's that anxiety that one has in a new situation or with strangers. Um, I've interviewed a lot of introverts who have gotten to be very good in new situations. And so for all those introverts out there, I hope you realize that this is something you can get good at. Um, the skills that one needs to be comfortable, introducing yourself, remembering names, asking questions, are all things that one can learn. And in fact, introverts are often better at it than extroverts because they are introspective and reflective and think about how things went and how they can get better at it. So um, it's important for introverts to understand that a lot of times the, the anxiety, it's a product of two things. One is just, I'm just not comfortable yet with the skills one needs to be new, to, in, in new that you use in new situations. And then the other part is to recognize that a lot of times because it takes energy for us to build relationships, especially for introverts, that we need to take it in a little bit more smaller doses uh, than, than extroverts. And I've also met a lot of extroverts who are really anxious in new situations. And that's actually, in some respects, more challenging for extroverts because, on one hand, they need other people to give them energy, and yet, at the same time, they're nervous about uh, you know, being rejected and failure and those other things, and it can actually be harder for some extroverts to put themselves in the new situations than introverts. I can see that because the extrovert gets their energy from talking and engaging, connecting with other people. And now the anxiety about being rejected by people I don't yet know is a big thing. An introvert, I can imagine, could say, fine, I didn't need all of you anyway, or that many of you at any rate. I'll take the one or two of you I connect with. That's good enough. So I can see that extroverts have a lot of anxiety. And your point is right. It's about where you put your energy and how you break it down systematically to reflect and to get better in the process. Right. Okay? And I think a lot of introverts have figured out, you know, sort of that balance. Because it's, a, it's actually wrong to think that introverts are happier when they're alone. And in fact, there's been research that's been done that have asked people to sort of rate at different times of the day, random times of the day, their level of happiness. And what they found is, is that certainly extroverts are happy when they're around people, but actually introverts are happier when they're around people too. Maybe not as much, but they, they're happier when they are around people than when they are alone. Um, but from an energy standpoint, introverts realize that they just simply, um, they need more time alone to recharge. And so they have to find that balance. But Obviously, relationships are still important for whether you're introverted or extroverted, so the act of developing those are important for everyone. As an introvert, you just need to accept the fact that you're going to have to do some of that um, and learn how to be more strategic and more balanced and do it in small enough doses that you don't walk, you know, you don't end up coming home so exhausted that you've convinced yourself not to go out and try it the next time. Okay. All right. I have a funny story on this one. Um, I was working with a uh, top team 
And we had done a Myers-Briggs assessment, which is the best way I know to gauge this notion of introvert and extroversion. One of the people who's a salesperson said, how else do you sell if you are not an extrovert? How can you possibly sell anything to anybody? Build a relationship with the client if you're not an extrovert. The colleague sitting in the room Happened to be a very good salesperson also, but happened to be an introvert. And the the discussion between the two of them about the difference in the process was absolutely fabulous. It's not that either was better or worse. They just went about it in a different way. The introvert prepared more for a meeting with a new customer, and the extrovert prepared less for a meeting with a new customer, both with pros and cons, as you can well imagine. So I take your point. We all do enjoy people. We all do like being around people. We just have a different set of balance of how we need how we draw our time. Exactly. And as you said, I mean, there's actually a lot of research to show that even within sales, that introverts are often as effective, if not more effective, than extroverts. That it's it's less about your style and it's more what you do with it. Um, okay. And I've also found that a lot of times for introverts, there's been something in their life that has gotten them sort of over the hump to realize that these new situations aren't as um, uh, scary as they might be or as energy draining as they might be. Uh, usually it's some kind of, uh, it could be a, a trip abroad, uh, it could be a sales type role, something that gets them out of that comfort zone gets them interacting with strangers and helps recalibrate that brain to realize that, that uh, you know, you can be around and make it still work and be okay. successful. I can imagine for an introvert having a process to reflect on, to do the introspection about, and to just steadily improve your skills would give an introvert confidence that it could be done. Is that true in your experience? Exactly. I mean, again, I think introverts, probably perhaps more than extroverts, they need that introspection to have that confidence. But the wonderful thing about introverts is they're very, very good at it, um, very good at, at reflecting. And if you think about being new as a social performance, because it really is, they're often w- well-equipped with some, with some thoughts and reflection and, and also recognition of both how, you know, in particular, how in most cases, most new interactions go well. Um, and yet our brain still wants us to, is hardwired to make us think that that next one, and we've all been in new situations thousands of times, it's kind of funny to think that our brain still wants us to believe that somehow that next person we meet is going to beat us up or take our stuff or embarrass us or, or do something that would be detrimental to who we are. When, of course, 99% of the time it goes well, you have good conversations, um, and it ultimately has a benefit, and that the more we do some of this, the better. But again, for introverts, you've got to find the balance. You know, don't attend those three-hour awards dinners if you, can't, if you can avoid them. Find, you know, when you're going to conferences, do your networking in small doses. Go out for walks. Uh, do anything that helps you recharge so that you see those situations as interesting opportunities to learn things about people and not energy draining ordeals that you come to um, sort of not look forward to and then walk in with the idea of enduring it rather than enjoying the process of discovery. Fabulous. 
Keith, I love this, that we can take the introvert skills and show them some of their strengths and reflection and opportunity to learn. And if we do it on the right balance for an introvert, they can actually be quite successful in building new relationships. All right, Keith Rolag, the book is What to Do When You're New, How to Be Comfortable, Confident, and Successful in New Situations. Keith, thanks for being with us today. It's been I think, great to be here to do today. Thank you. I, I think the thing that just resonates with me today is this notion that we are hardwired to fear strangers and fear rejection so that it's okay to feel awkward when you're in a new situation. And the secret is to take a learning mindset, focus on the reasons that you're there, the common purpose and the common benefit. All right, next week, we're going to be talking with Paul Axtell, and the topic is how to have meetings that matter, efficient, productive, and maybe even enjoyable. Join us then. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.